0: Romans 8, 31 through 39. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. This is a uh, wonderful uh, chapter of scripture, and we're going to spend uh, some time looking at these eight verses. Let's read the text first, and then we'll, we'll jump in properly. The Apostle Paul writes this, verse 31. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you have been uh, to Porter Square? Give a show of hands. Cross the river came to the other, the other country and, and been to Porter Square. If You go to Porter Square and you get on the red line um, and you, you, uh, you experience that for the first time, there is something you're gonna encounter there that's different than any other station. Do you know what it is? The stairs, the stairs right, those stairs. How many of you have been on those stairs? Yeah, you know those stairs, they, they, uh, they go up to the ceiling, essentially, right? Those stairs, and, and when you get on those stairs, uh, you, you get on them and, and you kind of, as you ascend slowly, or rather not on the stairs, but on the, uh, the, the escalator, you, you ascend slowly, right? And you, if you want to turn back, you have a nice vantage point that increases as you get higher to look down on all those people who are scrambling, running late for work, right? And so you can see them and your vantage point gets higher and higher and you just have a better scope and view of everything that is around you as you ascend uh, those stairs or that escalator. Well, Romans 8 is sort of like that. It is sort of a staircase of glory, that the higher we get, the further we get into this chapter, each of these verses builds on the next that brings us one step higher to the mountaintop of God's glory to look on to look with God's perspective, to look with the gospel's perspective on the trials, the tribulations, the accusations, the suffering and the pain of life and to see them from the perspective of the truth and the fact that all of these things that we look upon in creation, all of the suffering that we deal with in this broken world, none of those things that we look upon from this mountaintop of glory, none of those things can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You notice that in this passage, the Apostle Paul is asking a bunch of what? What's he doing? Asking a bunch of, what do you ask? You ask questions, the only thing you can ask, right? Come on now. What is he asking? He's asking a bunch of questions. Question after question after question after question after question. He starts off with this first question. What then shall we say to these things? What he's asking in that question is is he's pointing back to everything that he's written in this book up to this point. He has laid out in the book of Romans the fact that sin has invaded uh, human history, sin has impacted every single human being, Jew and Greek, religious, irreligious, all are ensnared and trapped under the domain and power of sin. And our goodness cannot break us out. Our efforts cannot break us out. Trying to be good cannot break us out. We are trapped, enslaved to the power of sin. The apostle Paul lays that out. He says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But then he says, we are justified. We are declared righteous. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are released from sin's presence, penalty, and power through the work of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on in chapter 7 to say, even though we've been freed from the penalty of sin, we still have sin within us and we still struggle against sin. But then he goes on to chapter 8 and he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. But then further in chapter 8, he says that this present world is full of groaning and suffering. But he says that the suffering in the presence cannot compare to the glory to come. And so the Apostle Paul is laying out all of these cosmic realities, and his point then as he comes to 31, he says this, so in light of all these things, what should we say? In light of the fact that sin and death plague this world, in light of the fact that in this world we will have trial, tribulation, and suffering— In light of the fact that though Jesus forgives us of our sin, we still deal with sin in our hearts. In light of all of these things, what should we say? And Paul then begins to boast. Paul begins a sort of righteous trash talk with these questions. You can just see him writing and saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. And if God is for us, what could ever separate us from God's love? Nothing. Shall trial do it? Shall tribulation? Shall persecution? Should danger? Should sword? Should nakedness? Should famine? Should hunger? No, nothing. Paul is boasting, celebrating, trash talking in a righteous way, the powers and effects of sin and death and saying none of these things can ever separate God's people from God's Now, this is an important text for us because unless we have internalized the Christ-centered reality of this passage, we will constantly feel undercut, overcome, questioning, struggling and wondering, is God really for me? Is God really with me? Can I really endure with God to the end through all the trials and struggles that I face? But if we internalize and we understand what Paul is laying out for us in these rhetorical questions, what he lays out in these eight verses, if we grab hold of it by faith, if we grasp it with our minds, if we walk in this truth with our feet, then we will experience in the midst of trial, pain, struggle against sin, we will experience the reality that God's love never leaves us. There's much at stake for us here. The first thing I want us to see from this passage is this, is that because nothing, uh, because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, we endure, we keep going with Jesus. The first thing I want us to see is this, is that the Apostle Paul is going to show us that no adversaries, no adversaries, no opposition, no enemies, no adversaries can ever separate us from the love of God. No adversaries can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Notice this first question. This first question after the intro question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now think about it this way. How many things are working against us according to the biblical story? Many things, right? If Paul were to just ask, who can be against us, there is a litany of answers to say. Who is against us? Well, we are against ourselves, right? You ever notice the problems that you cause yourself? You are against yourself, Paul. Not only are we against ourselves, but there is this this force, this, this power, this infection on creation known as sin. Sin is against us. And sin has a running partner. Death. Sin and death, the unholy Jordan and Pippin going through the earth, causing terror and brokenness. So we have many things that are against us. Paul, what are you speaking of here? But notice that Paul doesn't just say, who can be against us? Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Paul's mind, what he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us in a way that will lead to our defeat? And his answer, nothing. Now, in order to appreciate this, in order to appreciate this victory, we need to understand the adversary. We need to understand how serious sin and death actually are. We need to understand how sin and death function as adversaries, as enemies, to keep us from the love of God, to keep us from being in God's love and keep us from experiencing God's love. And we need to understand sin in a robust way. Sin is not just a thing that we commit, it certainly is, but sin is a power that we live under in enslavement. Sin is not just an act, sin is a power that holds you down and owns you. Romans 5, Paul explains this way. He says that sin came into the the world, and through sin, sin's running partner, death, so that death spread to all because all sinned. Sin and death are a power, an army that is moving forward in this world, destroying God's good creation and God's good purposes. Fleming Rutledge, the uh, theologian, she writes this. She says, Sin cannot be overcome by human determination nor overcome by human capacity, nor overcome by human moral resolve. It is false and misleading to think of sin in terms of individual acts or failures to act. This, however, is the way that Americans think. We believe that we can resist sin by making good choices, and death we can keep at bay simply by not thinking about it or domesticating it. The biblical story places us in a completely different worldview. In order to appreciate the glory of this chapter, you need to understand the absolute peril and trouble we are in under the powers of sin and death left to ourselves. We need to soberly evaluate the reality of our adversaries, sin and death and Satan, in order to appreciate the victory of God offered to us in Jesus Christ. Paul says, we have these great enemies, which he has outlined over these last eight chapters, but he has this phrase, if God is for us, these enemies, they're toast. If God is for us, sin, as serious as it is, can't separate us from God's love. If God is for us, death, as undefeated as death is, death will not separate us from God's love. If God is for us. And the good news is, God is for us. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God was for us when we were against him. God was for us when we were ungodly. Now, if God is for us when we are ungodly, how much for us will he be now that he has placed upon us forgiveness, mercy, and the righteous record of his son, Jesus Christ? And because of that, we boast with Paul. We righteously trash talk with Paul. We say, if God is for us, who can be against us? So we know that no adversary can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the whole foundation of Christianity. The fact that we are isolated, cut off, separated, alienated from God by virtue of our sin. We are separated from the love of God and we are very much active, present, and under the judgment of God. But God in his love crosses that chasm, crosses that gap through sending Christ into human history to atone for our sin in order to bring us home to him. And because of that reality, we are no longer separated from the love of God, but we bask in the presence of the love of God. We stand forgiven, justified, righteous, redeemed by Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the whole foundation of Christianity, that sin cannot be defeated by our ingenuity. Sin cannot be defeated by our moral resolve. Sin cannot be defeated by even our good deeds. Sin can only be defeated. We can only be forgiven. We can only be released from its power through the work of Jesus Christ that we latch onto by Are you living under that truth? This is the truth of the gospel. This is the foundation of being a disciple of Jesus. This is the foundation of Christianity. And this is the foundation of what our churches are doing together. Why else would we partner together? Why else would we work together? If not to see the good news of Jesus that releases us from the penalty of sin, go forward in the city. This is why we serve, this is why we give, this is why we pray, this is why we disciple one another, this is why we're in community groups, with people who on the surface seem like, oh, they rub me the wrong way, but then you get to know them, you realize we're family in Christ. The gospel, this truth of Christ, is the foundation for all that we do. And Paul says, because God is for us, nothing can be against us. No adversary, no opponent. But Paul keeps going. He keeps climbing the staircase. He takes us one step further. He takes us into a new domain on this staircase of glory. He takes us to verses 34 and 35. And Paul is asking his righteous, trash-talking, glory-in-Jesus questions. Look at what he says in 34 and 35. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul's second point as we climb this staircase of glory is that no adversary can separate us from the love of God. Sin cannot do it. Death cannot do it. Satan cannot do it. But guess what? Those are external. We have an internal adversary that goes and operates in the realm of accusation. And Paul says, "Just like no adversary can separate you from the love of God, no accusation can condemn you or cut you off from knowing and experiencing and having the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord." Now I don't know how much of you um, uh, want to reveal this about yourself, but uh, if you ever uh, have had days where you were sick and you were laid up and you didn't have cable and you're just watching normal TV, there is always there is always courtroom shows, right, midday TV, right? The two things you're guaranteed to see, Mori and some courtroom, right? Some courtroom show. Uh, and when you watch those courtroom shows, uh, you, you can see uh, judges with attitudes, uh, judges with a little sass and verve, but you can also see uh, prosecutors, right? People who are presenting, who are attacking, right? Trying to, trying to get a charge to go forward. You can see them in action, and some of them are, are a little bit vicious. Some of them, if you stutter, they're going to use that stutter against you. Some of them, if you fidget, they'll use that fidget against you. It's almost like they're looking for any advantage, and when they find it, they will absolutely exploit it in order to condemn you. Now, the reason that uh, verse 33, 34, and 35 are such good news for us, there there are many reasons, but one reason in particular is because that type of prosecutor, that type of pounce on any mistake, that type of pounce on any weakness, that type of litigation, that type of prosecutor lives inside of each of us. We are our own worst prosecution, are we not? We are our own biggest condemner, are we not? We know our every weakness. We know our every failure. You know your every regret. You know your every lie. You know your every false motive. There are things about you that only you know. And the knowledge of those things and those choices and those actions accuse you. The Apostle Paul says this. No accusation stands against those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. This is important news for us. We have a vivid and acute knowledge of our sin, but do we have as vivid of a knowledge of Christ who cleanses us from that sin? There's a bookstore in Portland, Oregon called Powell's, which is a wondrous place, the closest place to heaven on earth, and it's a whole city block of books. And the first time you go there, you get on one floor and you say, wow, there's so many books. then you get to the next floor and you say, wow, there are so many books. Then you get to the next floor and you say, oh my goodness, there are so many books. And you just keep going. You, You could be there the whole weekend. I have tried it with my family to just disappear and hide in the books. It has not worked. But you could spend three days in that bookstore. The further you go, there are more and more books. The human heart is the same way but you replace books with sin. The more time you spend with yourself, the further you get into your motivations, the further you get into your actions, the further you get into what you really think about people, but you're really good at restraining yourself from saying it, right? The further you get into your own uh, experience with yourself, you realize, wow, there's more sin in here than I thought. And it's not the sin that is outward, external, and egregious. You're not slashing tires like you used to when you were 15. Right? It's it's the stuff that comes on the level of motivation. It's It's the slick sin that says, I want to hurt this person, but I won't use words because then they'll know, but I'll look at them like this. And it's just as wicked, it's just as painful, and it's just as damaging. There is more sin in us than we know. And when we come to a vivid reality of the knowledge of our sin, which is absolutely true, we stop at that truth. We don't move to the full truth that Paul lays out here, that yes, there is much sin in us, but there is much more grace in Christ. No, we just stop on the first half of that truth. There is so much sin in me. And we just accuse ourselves. And we fall into the lies that say this, God doesn't love me, he just tolerates me. Or God loves me as long as I'm good. Or God doesn't uh, really love me unless unless I kind of clean up some of these things. Or we have this nagging sense that, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. I know I'm forgiven by Christ, but I just don't feel any of that. Well, it's because you have a much more vivid understanding of your sin, that half-truth, but you need the full truth. Yes, your sin is serious, but Christ's grace is even greater. The serious weight of our sin, look at what Paul says here, the serious weight of our sin condemn us. Who will bring a charge against us? There are many charges that can be brought against us. There are many who God could condemn us, but the one who, who could condemn us won't. Paul is doing two things. He is saying the serious weight of our sin is always to be presented in connection with the superior work of our Savior. Here is what this verse means for us. Accusations cannot separate us from the love of Christ. So therefore, when we think of our sin, we must also think of Christ. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here. That Christ has died more than that Christ was raised. And not only that, let's put some icing on the gospel cake. Christ is interceding for us right now. Think of this. It is Jesus' supreme joy, personal pleasure, full time hobby to intercede for you right now. Right now. And within Jesus is both the truth and the reality that yes, you are to be condemned. But also the reality that in a righteous, upstanding way, Jesus is the one who has made atonement for us. He is in the very presence of God as our mediator, as our lawyer, as our defendant, who before God the Father says, they are with me, they are completely righteous. And God the Father doesn't just fold his arms and say, well, I guess so. But God the Father says, yes, that is what we have planned. Jesus intercedes for you right now. This means the condemnation, the thoughts of guilt, the feelings of shame that you sit with, those, probably many of them are true. But you need to move from that truth into the second truth, that Christ has made atonement for you. You are justified. Paul is using courtroom language in order to paint a courtroom picture for us that we would understand in our minds, in our hearts, how much Jesus is for us and how righteous we are in the sight of God. That our sins are taken away and are replaced with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here is what this application means. If you are to experience the love of God, because our sin and accusation cannot separate us from the love of God. If you are to experience this, here is how you apply these verses. For every thought of your sin, you must take ten thoughts of Christ. Don't play the game of minimizing your sin, thinking that by downplaying it, you will maximize God's love. It doesn't work that way. If you see your sin, deal with it, be real with it, own it, take it, receive it. It is true of you, but what is more true of you is the work of Jesus Christ. If the reality of our sin cannot separate us from the love of God, do not let the mental replays of your sin do it either. I love what the German theologian Martin Luther says about this point, about accusations not separating us from the love of God. He speaks about this in terms of the accusations of of Satan, of the devil, who brings to mind all of our sins. We struggle not only with self-accusation, but also accusation from the enemy who makes it his purpose to rub our nose in our sin and in our shame and in our guilt. Luther says this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Again, the righteous trash talk. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I will be also. Will you embrace the full truth about you? That like Powell's, there are many books in that building. There are many sin inside of you. Sin's power is in you but Christ's work and grace is greater. So much so that no accusation in God's courtroom can stand against us. Not even your sins. That is the power of the work of Jesus. This means there ought to be a Romans 8 type of confidence about the disciple of Jesus. There ought to be a Romans 8 type of uh, holy swagger about the disciple of Jesus that has a true understanding of our sinfulness but a superior understanding of Christ's work on our behalf. We don't just wallow in our sin but our sin leads us to Jesus. Do you have this confidence? Has Romans 8, its logic shaped you? Has it changed your view of yourself both soberly and honestly realistic about everything in you and yet rejoicing about everything that is in Christ that is now transferred onto you grab hold of this by faith the apostle paul is not finished though he keeps climbing he takes us higher no adversary can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No accusation can separate us from experiencing the love of of Christ Jesus. No accusation can stand against God's people in his courtroom. We are chosen, we are loved, we are justified by the work of Jesus. These accusations, God rebukes them at the rim. He blocks them. He swats them off the backboard. They do not stand because the work of Jesus does, but he climbs higher, the apostle Paul does. And he goes from this, he says, not just no uh, adversary, not just no accusation, he says, no adversity. No adversity. No adversity can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Look at what he says in 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death Here we reach the pinnacle, we reach, we reach the, the top of the staircase of, of this glory uh, of gospel wonder in uh, the beauty and the truth of what Christ has done for us and the love of God. We have reached the top. If, if no one can condemn us, no one can effectively be against us, uh, what could ever separate us from the love of God? Our adversaries can't do it, our accusations against us can't do it, but what about the adversities of life in a world filled with sin and brokenness? What about the adversities of life in a world full of sin and brokenness where one phone call can change your life forever? What about suffering that is not self-inflicted by our foolish choices but seems to come to us and enter into our lives, destroying everything with no sense of rhyme or reason? What about just the chaos of this world? Can that separate us from the love of God? What about tribulation and distress, just the hardships of life? the hardships that come from doing everything right and still not having anything to make ends meet? What about uh, nakedness or famine, doing everything right and still not having what you need to survive? What about persecution or sword, faithfully following Jesus and meeting a martyr's end? Faithfully following Jesus and losing your job because of it. What about these things? Do these things separate us from not just the reality of God's love, but the experience of God's love? What about the adversities that come from life in a broken world? Adversities that in a room this size have their hand upon many of us. Can these separate us from the love of God? This is very real for the Romans. In the years to come, Roman Christians would endure gut-wrenching persecution at the hands of Nero the emperor who would, for entertainment and sport, see Christians fed to lions, martyred and killed. This is very real for them. This is very real for us. Maybe some of us, I know in this room, are dealing with trials that feel like they are sapping every ounce of life and breath out from under us. Do these things separate us from the love of God? Paul uses in verse 36 uses an example from Psalm 44 to pull to illustrate the viciousness of this world. That though we are faithful to God, this world still slaughters us and hurts us and persecutes us. Do these things separate us from the love of God? And Paul says this in verse 39 to make the point clear. He says life or death can't do it. Angels or rulers, demonic powers, nothing can do it. Nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nor height nor depth. And then he gives us the junk drawer term to make sure we understand it. Nothing in all of God's creation can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing in all creation. And Paul wants us to grasp this so much. Look at what he says in verse 37. No, he actually answers his rhetorical question for once, right? He wants to make sure we get this, make sure we're not, we're not uh, misunderstanding him. He answers the question for us. He says, no, 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 nothing can do it. You know why? Because we're more than conquerors through him. I like this verse. You guys like this verse? Do you like people calling you? You are more than a conqueror. What if you started introducing yourself that way? Don't do it, it's weird. <laughs> hey, I'm Tim, who are you? More than a conqueror, yeah. Don't do it, but it sounds cool. More than a conqueror, I like this. This is encouraging that we are more than conquerors. How do you, how do you become a more than a conqueror? How do, you, how do you do that? Paul is trying to make a point for us. He's trying to help us understand that any adversity that touches our life through the love and power of Jesus, we will triumph over that adversity. Not only do we triumph over that adversity, but we are more than a conqueror. Here's what Paul, Paul is saying here. He's saying we don't just barely win against adversities. We don't, we don't just get by them with a, with a last second buzzer beater. It's not, a clo- it's not a close game when we deal with adversities in the people of God. It's not an evenly tight match. It comes to extra innings and you're really biting your nails, hoping it'll pull out. He says, no, we're more than conquerors. We more than blow them out. We, we, we more than win. We, we overwin. We extra win. We win on top of winning, winning on winning on winning. That's what we do. We're more than conquerors. This is the idea that before the battle begins, before the game starts, the victory is already in. We just need to run up and down the court for a few minutes. Just some perfunctory perfunctory athletics. The victory is sealed. We are more than conquerors. How? Do you feel like more than a conqueror? You're like, I can't even conquer Monday. How, how am I conquering? I can, you're like, I can't even be an adult. This is adult. What is this thing? So, so how, how, are we, how are we more than conquerors? How does this happen? Notice what Paul says. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is something about the person and work of Jesus, the love of Jesus that when we grab hold of it by faith, we are so deeply united to him that his victory becomes our victory. And his victory breaks into our battles and gives us victory over those adversaries. The love of Jesus, when it enters into our life, when the person of Jesus enters in our life, when God redeems us, saves us, he will sustain us to the very end. And in that journey on the end, he will give us victory. We will be more than conquerors over everything that comes against God's purposes in our lives. Our sin, our sin, Trial? Struggle? Accusation? Jesus will not let us be defeated. We become more than conquerors through him who loved us by faith. By faith in Christ, the victory of Christ becomes ours. But the other way we walk in this is not just faith in Christ and his victory, which becomes ours, but by continuing to keep going in walking with Jesus in the midst of adversity, trial, tribulation, struggle against sin, and suffering. We continue with Jesus. It's almost as if Christ's love has a redemptive touch. That when anything comes into our life, Christ touches it and unlocks its redemptive power for us. You've heard of the Midas touch? This one's got the Midas touch. Everything they do is successful, right? You're like, they said the same thing I said, and they got a promotion, and I got demoted. Like, what is this? What is this thing about this person? Everything they do works well. Christ has a redemptive touch. Anything that intersects with the life of his people, Jesus touches it. He, he, he puts his hand upon it, his, his sovereign purposes grab hold of it and unlock its settings in order to do redemptive work in our lives. That's why we're more than conquerors. This is why Paul says not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even sin can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ's love is so powerful when it touches death, when it touches sin, when it touches suffering, when it touches a really hard year, when it touches really bad news, Jesus unleashes the redemptive power of that trial, of that struggle, bending that thing to produce good in us. So we become more than conquerors. Think about this, death, instead of being something that is our final end, Christ experiences death. He walks through the door of death. He experiences it for us. He tastes it for us first and he, he changes, he reconfigures death so that death isn't the end for us. It isn't a, 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 a stop for us. It becomes a comma that leads us into God's love and presence. Suffering, Jesus touches suffering so that when suffering touches his people, suffering doesn't just uh, convince us of God's absence, suffering actually leads us into God's presence through Christ because as Paul says in Romans, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see this? Christ has a redemptive touch on anything that comes into your life, so he grabs it. If you want to think of a wrestling image, he grabs it by the neck. He looks it in the eye. He bends it down. And he says, this is going to produce good in the life of my son or daughter. That's the power of Christ's love. This is why you're more than a conqueror. This is why there is nothing you will ever face that Christ in his love won't bend towards victory produced in your character, victory in your circumstance, or victory that will only come in eternity. From this, I hope you are encouraged to keep going with Jesus, to trust in him and keep going. And I want to take us, as we close, to verse 32. This whole staircase of glory is is drenched in, it's painted with the truth of verse 32, where the Apostle Paul says this, He, the Father, God the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the undergirding logic, the whole paint on this staircase of gospel glory. That he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul is pointing us to the reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God because God has already given us everything. He's pointing us to the character of God, that God is so loving and so generous towards you and I, that he has already given up the most precious thing he could give. He has given his son for our sins, and Christ went joyfully and willingly. If God has met us in that trial, God will meet us in anything else that comes our way. Paul is upholding here as the the cross, as the picture of God's love that is incomparable, I mean, think about how people have loved you. Has anyone loved you in a love that comes anywhere close to what God the Father has done for you in Jesus Christ? Is there any love that when you experience trial, tribulation, distress, or death, is there any love that is strong enough to not be separated by such painful things? Christ's love stands unique. The world teaches us that we overcome trials and struggles by avoiding them. But Paul is showing us here on this gospel staircase that we overcome trials and struggles not by avoiding them, but by enduring them, by grabbing hold of the love of God in Jesus Christ through faith that we can keep walking in the midst of those trials because we know God is grabbing them by the neck through the redemptive love of Jesus Christ and turning them and producing good in us that we will see in the present or maybe down the line or ultimately and decisively in eternity. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not our adversaries, not even true and real accusations of our sin in God's courtroom, those don't even stand, and not adversity. Not adversity. Will you trust in the power of Christ's sacrifice, that it is so strong you cannot be separated from God's love? Will you trust in that? More than that, will you keep going? Will you keep going with Jesus? Will you embrace the logic of Romans 8? Will it change your inner thinking and your inner being that you would now walk through trials, walk through sin, walk through struggle with the confidence, with the holy swagger that says, God is for me. Who can be against me? I want us to respond now with a silent prayer and confession. I want you to go before God and just ask God uh, to praise God for what he's done, but to ask God, how do you want me to respond to this text? If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have heard the good news of God's love through Christ that saves us from our sin, not by our goodness, but by God's love and grace. I would encourage you, if you feel comfortable with this, to, to simply say, God, if any of this is true, would you show this to me? Would you, would you make this real to me? Take a moment to pray silently, and then I'll lead us in in prayer aloud, and we'll, we'll come forward to receive communion, and we'll respond in worship. Let's pray silently before the Lord.